This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we're delighted to welcome a great American, a principal leader, and a brilliant mind, Dr. Victor Davis Hanson, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. His focus is classics and military history. Professor Hanson is the author of hundreds of articles, book reviews, and newspaper editorials on Greek, agrarian, and military history, and essays on contemporary culture. He is the author of most recently of the Second World Wars, how the first global conflict was fought and won, and the case for Trump. We encourage our engaged listeners to visit victorhanson.com, victorhanson.com. And without further ado, it is indeed our great honor at America's Roundtable Radio to welcome once again, Professor Victor Davis Hanson. Welcome, sir. Welcome, Dr. Hanson. Thank you for having me. Uh, Dr. Hansen, in your excellent piece, Historian's Corner, Civilizational Death or Renewal, published in July 2021, you begin by saying, I quote, History is replete with examples of societies in crisis that either imploded or were destroyed through internal or external forces, as well as those that met such dangers and endured. Unquote. You mentioned difficult periods of time in American history when there were doubts about the survival of America, and you mentioned the most dangerous of all developments is the current regression to tribalism. And since you mentioned an example of Yugoslavia in your piece, uh, let me briefly share Richard Holbrook's statement from his book, To End a War. He was a prominent Democrat, a diplomat, and was very familiar with Yugoslavia and the Balkans, and he said... I quote, Yugoslavia's tragedy was not foreordained. It was the product of bad, even criminal political leaders who encouraged ethnic confrontation for personal, political and financial gain, unquote. Uh, Dr. Hansen, if we replace the word Yugoslavia with America and the word ethnic with the word racial, it would read, America's tragedy was not foreordained. It was the product of bad, even criminal political leaders who encouraged racial confrontation for personal, political, and financial gain. Dr. Hansen, how concerned should we be about the future of America with political leaders igniting racial confrontation and tribalism today? Well, it's a lot, but we've got to remember that a multiracial, multi-ethnic democracy is very rare in history. And when it does occur, it usually is requires a degree of coercion and they're not democratic, these nations, whether it's the late Roman Empire or the Ottoman Empire or the Soviet Empire, to make people not identify solely with people who look like themselves, which is a very natural thing to do. Governments are autocratic to enforce the world like Austria-Hungary Empire. However, we, we are trying this great experiment. India has tried it, Brazil tries it with 
varying degrees of success, but we were the most successful. And now I think we're under a lot of uh, strain because the melting pot of assimilation, intermarriage, and integration has now been replaced by a salad bowl of ethnic identification. And now we're even going to the wokest model that says that if you don't want to be obsessed with race, you must be obsessed with race. If you want to end discrimination by race, then you should discriminate uh, by race. Borders are essential. Today in the New York Times, there's an op-ed that says citizens should uh, not have a monopoly on voting, that residents. That goes right back to the tribal days of the Roman Empire when the Goths or the Oscoths, Viscoths, Huns, Vandals just crossed back and forth across the Danube and the Rhine. And the idea was that if you have a nation that has secure borders, it develops in a private collective space, unique traditions, customs, laws. And when you just let people come in and drift around and have equal rights, it's as if you open your house to guests and say, come on in for the front door. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. You don't really know anything about the plumbing, the electricity. You don't make the mortgage payment. But you know what? You can tell me and I'll obey you. It doesn't work. and It's never worked in history. And then finally, the left has an agenda the AOC, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and now the Joe Biden agenda, that 51% of the constituencies in America don't want. That's proven by polling on illegal immigration, on critical race theory, on open borders. Okay, so they want to change the demography of the United States. We have about 45 million people in the United States that were not born here, many of them residing illegally. We're scheduled to have 2 million people cross the border in a 12-month period. And think for a minute about the weaponization of vaccination and federal health policy. Mr. Becerra, the head of HHS, told us that he was willing to go door to door to your door to your door to my door to make sure we had a vaccination where 2 million people who are not U.S. citizens crossed the border illegally as their first act. As their second act, they reside illegally and they're not going to be vaccinated and they're not going to be tested. They have more rights, in other words, than citizens. We were told that certain groups were responsible for super spreading. And the result, the implication by the Biden administration were these were alt-right, deplorables, irredeemables, morons, hillbillies, uh, red state, dead-enders. When you look at the actual data, you can see what they were not telling the truth. The highest percentage of people who are vaccinated are Asian Americans followed by white Americans. The problem we're having are, are subsets of evangelical, some evangelical white Americans, but mostly the Latino and black populations are getting, getting vaccinated at far less uh, percentages than the other two percentages of the largest groups. Then when we talk about super spreaders, think of that. The government even there cannot resist the balkanization. They said, oh, there's these super spreaders, these guys that go to motorcycle rallies or Trump rallies. No. Not at all. The super spreaders that we've seen were last June when federal health authorities and state officials, 1,200 of them, signed a petition that said BLM should be given a, an exemption in June 2020 to go out mass protest because that's necessary for their psychological health. People who are not citizens should be given an exemption when they cross illegally into the border. Now we're in the throes of a panic because the vaccinations have not offered an absolute defense against the next Delta mutant. And we're looking at Provincetown, Rhode Island, a very small community of two or 3,000. It had no case. 
but 40,000 people attending gay pride festivities in July, swarm bars, hotels, restaurants, and they spread through repeated contacts and a lot of viral load. The virus, even among vaccinated people, didn't mean that they got always symptomatic. It didn't mean they were hospitalized. It didn't mean any died, but it did mean that that type of uh, activity and that type of BLM activity and that type of activity at the border are completely exempt from any federal censure. Had that been a motorcycle rally in Dakotas, the media and the government would have demonized all of the participants, which leaves us with this depressing conclusion. If the government wants to know why a relatively safe and effective vaccination has not reached 50% of the population, and it wants to cast stones at culprits, well then, before it casts any stones, it should look in the mirror. Which brings us to your next piece titled, Why Are We Beginning to Hate Congress? And uh, you actually updated that piece just recently, and it was originally published in July 2010. That means that not much has changed since 2010. And you asked the questions, I quote, Can't legislators go back home and get alive after their terms? Why don't they quit lobbying for their former colleagues for profit and stop finagling for lifelong sinecures at some federal or state agency? And why can members of Congress abide by the very laws they pass? If members wish to change health care, they should enroll in the same plans they manage for others. Unquote. Uh, Dr. Hansen, what should be done now in order to revert to the original idea of America's founding fathers to have the government off, by, and for the people and the rule of law with laws that apply equally to all? They don't apply equally to all. That was one of the foundational principles of the United States. But under this focused theory, we gave exemptions from arrest, from indictments, from prosecutions, and from incarcerations based on, I would like to say the simplistic answer, based on the color of one's skin. But it's not even that. If you're a black conservative, beware. They're going to go after you like you not. It's not, it's your ideological compass that they don't want. And what, by that, I mean, we're looking at people in January 6th and one day of unfortunate rioting that are incarcerated without benefit of any charge being leveled at them. They're in indeterminate uh, confinement. We were told that they were armed insurrectionists. Not one person that we know of other than a DOJ agent has had a weapon or was arrested using a weapon. We were told they murdered a police officer. The police officer died a, a day later from natural causes. They shot an unarmed woman who was about 110 pounds, who was a 14 military year veteran. And she did not, like George Floyd, resist arrest. She did not, like George Floyd, try to pass counterfeit. She broke the law by entering a window in front of three very, very heavily armed SWAT team-like policemen. They did not raise their guns at her and consider her an existential threat. And yet, we still don't know the identity or who the, the shooter was. The policeman, we don't know the circumstances. In direct, direct antithesis to the 25 policemen in 2019 who shot lethally unarmed suspects and their pictures, their families, all the information was readily available to the public. I could go on, but we've seen through 120 days of looting, arson, demonstration, violence that there are exemptions given to those 14,000 people who were arrested. None of them are facing the consequences of the people in January 6th. And that, that's 
seems to be indicative of everybody from the Biden family, Hunter Biden, uh, and his antics to the Biden uh, quid pro quo family syndicate to people in Congress. So this is very important because it sends a message to people in the federal bureaucracies and the corporations that this culture transcends a particular administration. And therefore, if you're in Hollywood, if you're a retired military officer, if you're an active member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, if you're a bond trader on Wall Street, if you're a K through 12 teacher, if you're in academia, then it makes sense to buy woke insurance. And by that, I mean to be loudly in favor of this hard left revolution. And therefore, if you screw up, make an error, to feel yourself under possible legal liability, you will be given an exemption. That's the perception. And it's a deliberate perception because it's, it explains why people who have no overt ideology, whether it's the Delta CEO, Mr. Bastian, or the American Airlines uh, CEO, Mr. Parker, why would they come out when their airlines are just fraught with problems? I flew the, the other day and the plane had no gas in it, an American airline. And yet that CEO is lecturing Texas on their illiberal voting law. But they're doing this because they want to make sure people loudly know that they're woke and therefore a politicized military, DOJ, police, FBI, CIA will leave them alone. And as well as a, a politicized social media and regular media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, or et cetera. So these are very dangerous developments in the history of this country. Indeed, Dr. Hansen, on the tensions in the Middle East with an emboldened Iran, published reports relay that Iran's new hardline president, taking power in Tehran, has stated that a renewed deal with the U.S. can contain no limits on Iran's ambitions, as published reports indicate. Furthermore, this past week, the Wall Street Journal editorial board stated, I quote, How many Iranian slaps in the face will it take for President Biden to accept that he can't change Tehran's malign behavior by returning to the 2015 nuclear deal? The latest provocation was an attack last Thursday night in the Arabian Sea on a commercial oil tanker that killed two crew members. The tanker, Mercer Street, is managed by a London-based company owned by an Israeli billionaire, Israel fingered Iran for the attack, and Iran denied it, unquote. Professor Hansen, what do you make of this, whereby the Biden administration has given one pass after another to Iran? And what would be your prudent counsel and principal approach in addressing the Iranian nuclear threat and its continued schemes to fuel terror in the region? Remember where all this started. It started in 2009 with the Obama administration, and they had a lunatic theory that they were going to tilt toward the Shia, Persian, Hezbollah, Hamas axis. And therefore, the so-called other, the minority Shia, the minority Persian populations and their appendages in Syria and Lebanon and on the West Bank would then balance the Gulf monarchies and the Arab Sunni majorities. And therefore, uh, there was a little bit of revolutionary fervor there that we favored the, the so-called underdogs. And once they were wedded to that, the Iran deal became necessary because they did not want that regime that had a million people in the so-called Green Revolution out in the street to fail. They were afraid that it would follow the pattern of a Saudi or a Gulf state monarchy, recognize Israel, start liberalizing gradually, and they did not want that. They wanted a revolutionary regime. And they wanted it so much 
that they pushed that Iran deal through, which was a classic treaty by coercing the Congress into not demanding two-thirds votes to ratify it. And then they did not tell us the truth about the tr treaty. They delivered $400 million of cash in the dead of night. And then when Donald Trump overturned it, John Kerry, who had been very vocal about Michael Flynn and the Logan Act, repeatedly met with Iranian counterparts, even though he was out of office, to assure them that when they came back into office, that they would revive that. And the result is that as we speak, there are Iranians without water, without power, without security, and they're protesting. And this administration does not support that. And so it wants to appease these Iranian theocratic illiberal leaders so that they can get a lid on internal dissent and resume their role that the, this, I don't know, unhinged administration feels is conducive. Our administration right now, as the Obama administration, has an elemental dislike of the state of Israel, of any westernizing propensity or liberalizing propensity among Middle East countries. They believe they're inauthentic or they're not grassroots or they don't reflect the revolutionary impulses of, of their constituents. It's the weirdest, most bizarre thing, but also the most dangerous I've seen in, in the Middle East. Uh, history of American foreign policy. Dr. Victor Hansen, we thank you so much for your time on America's Roundtable, and we encourage our engaged listeners to visit victorhansen.com. And for the summer reading, certainly look up Dr. Victor Hansen's great books, and uh, certainly The Second World Wars, How the First Global Conflict Was Fought and Won, and many other great titles. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us on America's Roundtable this weekend. Thank you, Dr. Hansen. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Thank indeed. You. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.